0: Hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm Andrew. And this is Most Foul Mini.
1: Welcome, everybody.
0: Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Mini Episode Six. Woo!
1: Are you excited for more listener stories?
0: So much. These are fascinating. It's just, I don't know, I love getting in people's heads, not in the creepy, like, killer way, but just, you know, everybody's perspective on stuff is so different, so it's really interesting to me.
1: Well, and it's like a very slow conversation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This person writes in, tells us their story, then we get to respond, and then a month later it goes online for them.
0: Yes, yeah. It's so, wow. It's just very interesting and cool and it's really just kind of a different way of storytelling.
1: Yeah. But before we get to the stories, mm-hmm. I did have an a question for you. So I had a conversation on Tinder mm-hmm. and something was said and I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to take this. I don't I don't know about this. To the point where I made a, a Twitter poll on my personal Twitter Ooh, all and right. asked, like, is this the best line or is this the worst line? Okay. And you know, I didn't have a lot of responses, but I got a fifty fifty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you want me to be the tiebreaker?
1: Yes. All right. I already think I know the answer. Like, (laughs) oh, yeah, we'll see. Um, Okay. So, for context, just for the listener to be included in the story, I'm very tall. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's just a fact. Factual. It's on my (laughs) profile. (laughs) Um, The person I was talking to was a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. Um, How much a lot? uh, Like, five, seven. Okay. So compared so, to my 6'5", it's a pretty big gap. Yep. And I don't know how, I don't even remember how it got there. It it went in like a, a flirty direction. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I don't know if he was self-conscious about it, but what he sent me was, well, you know, we're all the same height in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately I was like, well, that's not true <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't know, I did not know how to respond. I was like, "I guess I could keep this flirty if I want, but like i my brain was locked in on like, but that's factually untrue <laughs> <laughs> so what is your verdict? Is that a good line or a bad line?
0: okay, so. This is interesting because I don't think we've ever talked about my height. Um, I am also tall. I'm not 6'5", but for a woman, I am very tall. I'm 5'10". And so when I was in the dating pool, this topic also came up from time to time. And I I thought this would really have been mostly a straight male phenomenon. So I'm learning a lot right now. But yeah, guys who were shorter than me would be, like, a couple of different ways about it. They would either be just, like, confident and normal, and, I mean, I'm thinking, I could call to mind maybe, like, two guys out of all the guys who I ever, like, knew or talked to in that way who were shorter than me. They would, the alternatives then were they would be kind of, like, jokey weird about it or, like, defensive and, like... Defensive weird, jokey weird, defensive weird, or just, like, it's a no-go. Like, they can't even entertain the possibility. Um, And so I have heard that line myself is basically (laughs) where I'm going with this. (laughs) And I don't know. I I feel like that must be – and I am not a a sizist, so I'm not – when I say shorter, I'm not, like, putting any judgment, like, value – statement on that just like factually shorter than average. I I feel like that must get passed around in the short guy handbook because yeah, I don't know. But it's factually incorrect and I think I I would say it's a no-go because from like a communicator standpoint it does something that you don't want to happen when you're communicating, which is have someone's mind go somewhere weird. Like you want to keep them in the moment. So if you're trying to woo someone, you don't want to take them out of the woo storyline, which that really does. And it doesn't even take you into like the sexy storyline, even though it involves the phrase in bed, because you're thinking like logistics and like, rulers and tape measures and, like, (laughs) (laughs) diagrams of sexual positions, which is, like, not the sexiest thing either. So I call that one a thumbs down for a variety of reasons.
1: Yeah, it's like, tell that to my feet that hang off the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Tell that to my mortal enemy, a footboard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. No. I, I say that's a no, but not, like, a creepy no. Just, like, it's just like a a fumble, and I feel like it belies, like, an insecurity that you don't, you don't need to deal with. It's like, go do your work, go do your self work, like, on your time, and then come back when, you know, I mean, I, I can acknowledge that life in the United States as a man who is shorter than average is probably not easy in a variety of ways, so I'm not invalidating that, and, like, you know, you don't want to be someone's therapist, like, Go do your work on yourself. Come back and like, let's have this amazing, like, giant, giant, and mini relationship. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> it hits my own insecurity of being too tall.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a fumble in all kinds of ways, but I don't think it's like you know, it's not a flagged play. It's just like, it, yeah, it's,
1: a, it's It a, wasn't gross. It was just like,
0: huh. <laughs>
1: I don't like this, I don't think.
0: Yeah, it's it's a fumble. And it, it's a, like, non-forced error. I'm trying to use sports, like, analogies here, <sighs> although I'm not, like, a sports person, so <laughs> I'm butchering them. But it's an unforced error, I guess, is what you would call it. It's not a fumble. That Wrong sport. It's an unforced error. And, you know, like, I love you, so I want you to have, like, the best, and you deserve the best and like... You've done all, like, your work, so you deserve someone who's done more work than clumsy height jokes that make everyone feel weird.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I think, listener, if you're going to take anything from this, just don't say anything about it at all or say, that's not a problem to me. That's it. (laughs) Or
0: say, like, tall guys are hot and, you know, whatever. Like, something that's, like, body positive, not about yourself and the other person, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, especially you don't know if someone's going to have an insane brain that's like, well, factually, that's untrue. (laughs) (laughs) There's not some magic vortex about going uh, (laughs)
0: horizontal that changes the... (laughs) It gets you in... I mean, I think the, the, the underlying message is quite coarse, and I don't think that flirtatious banter should go to that coarse level at that stage anyway because it's like the lining up of holes and things and like you don't want to take people to that place when you're still like in the flirty stage right I mean no I just said lining up of holes
1: I did hear that
0: leave it in leave it in it's okay
1: (laughs) yeah I heard that it was just like okay that's fine (laughs) you could take it out but I was more so thinking about the um That my dumpsters get picked up on the weekends, too.
0: No. Uh,
1: I see it on my audio stream. I was like, well, I'll just cut out. It wasn't when I was talking, but I was just like, mother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the takeaway from that is, listeners, if you could really like... Go to our Patreon and just consider, at the lowest level, supporting us. We could get some some actual maybe studio space or, I don't know, some soundproofing (laughs) for Andrew's living room. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to pivot to change the topic from my awkward um, thing that I said was all these sports analogies are because of the thing that I've saved up for banter. The only thing that I've done in the last 10 days besides work and sleep is watch Ted Lasso have you seen it
1: oh I love it so much oh
0: my gosh it's all I talk about (laughs) so it's not true crime but oh my god I'm so into it
1: I'd say like the antithesis of true crime (laughs) right it's so wholesome
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. And I'm trying to channel Ted Lasso and, you know, I don't know if even you know this, but I was born in Kansas. And so I like identify with like, you know, the Kansas wholesome thing and without really like having a plan or like pre Ted Lasso, I always joke that kind of one of my, I'm such an introvert one of my ways of coping with new situations and like meeting a lot of new people at once is to really lean into my like apple pie midwestern vibe and so (laughs) I'm feeling very like seen with this program and like how he approaches life but he's obviously like next level but I'm trying to really like now lean into it in a conscious way
1: it's so good (laughs) I don't even know what to say. How are you, like, fully caught up? Are you watching now?
0: We binged the whole first season, like, last week. And then um, this week we've been doing the second season, you know, just a couple at a time. And last night we watched the one from yesterday.
1: Okay. It was obviously weird timing, but, like, the Christmas episode (laughs) hit me of, like, I desperately want the holidays. I'm so done with this year.
0: (laughs) Yes, totally. I know. And I got to explain to Spencer the whole thing around like um, a Christmas bonus or Christmas special that they have in England, which is such a big thing. I mean, I'm not from England, but I'm such an um, Anglophile that... I have a pretty good awareness of the concept of a Christmas special and what a big deal it is for folks there. Um, So I got to explain that to him because he was like, well, that was kind of random, and what was going on with that? And I was like, Christmas special!
1: (laughs) Oh, it was so good. It made me, like, desperately ready. Not for Christmas, but for fall.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I was
1: like, oh, I'm so over. I mean, between COVID, 100-plus degrees wildfire smoke. I'm like, summer is dead to me.
0: Yeah, I'm so over it. We've been having a heat wave here as well. Only we also have humidity here, which I don't remember it being this bad. So I don't know if it's climate change or what, but, and at work we moved offices in our new office while on the garden level, AKA in the basement, doesn't have air conditioning. And so Uh -uh. with a mask inside, In a still room with windows that don't open and no air conditioning, it's just been oppressive. (laughs) No way. No way would I survive that. So I am fully ready for fall and all that brings, including more Ted Lasso episodes, which we can talk about off pod, but that's been my life. Work in Ted Lasso.
1: Oh, yeah. Just the Christmas episode on my mind. I can't tell you how hard I guffawed uh, (laughs) smelling the girl's breath. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect... I expected it to be just like a nothing moment. (laughs) And their facial expressions trying not to show how bad it was. (laughs) 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 Really got me.
0: Uh, I love it. I love it. And I need some wholesome. I mean, it's a good balance to what we do here together.
1: And maybe we'll save some wholesome for the end because... Our first uh, inciting incident is a very heavy one. I -hmm. I put it there on purpose to try to not have it end on the darkest note. Yes. So should we jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, I almost just quoted the start of this one. (laughs) Hello, this is a pretty heavy one (laughs) and not a movie or book. But the thing that got me into true crime is the Columbine shooting. You both should be old enough to remember that school shootings weren't normal. Well, in quotes, normal Mm -hmm. or common. This was a really shattering event at the time. I was a senior in high school, and this is a selfish but also human reaction. But I kept thinking, what if it was my school? What would I have done? What could have made someone do this? And that last question has never gone away. The media had nonstop coverage and nonstop speculation. This lone wolf narrative that we tragically hear over and over and over again now this event made me very fearful, and probably as a coping mechanism, I tried to learn everything I could about how something like this happens. In a way, I'm still doing that today with all of my true crime podcasts and documentaries. I'm trying to understand how and why these things happen. Sorry, I know this is a heavy topic, but I still wanted to write in. Thank you both, Jared.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm
1: feeling that one. And and it is
0: heavy, but I think... A lot of this story, you know, we kind of make light of it because, you know, I think you just kind of have to to cope at times. But, yeah, it's it's heavy. It's a heavy topic. And and this is definitely a shift in our society and something that, unfortunately, kids today and folks who have been young in the last, you know, 20 years have had to learn to cope with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, well, Columbine was 99, right? That sounds right. Yeah. I was a middle schooler. No, maybe I was an elementary schooler. Oh, 99. I don't even know what that is.
0: So uh, you were a 12 let me year do old? The, yeah, you were 12. But so what does that mean? <laughs> that's seventh grade,
1: usually. Yeah, so like I, there was no even awareness that this could happen. And unfortunately, probably naivety and like mental compartmentalization it didn't seem like it would ever happen again. Mm-hmm. And I know like now I see how stupid that is, but it, it seemed like one of those tragedies like Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously 9-11 hadn't happened, but in that similar vein where it was like, I can't believe this insane terrorist act has happened. It, never would I have ever thought. I mean, granted I was 12, but like I would have never thought It would ever happen again.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And not that it happens all the damn time.
0: Well, it kind of does.
1: And I'm sure it was just naivety and the news media. And we've talked about this before, but like the onset of 24-hour news was probably heavy in this Columbine time, too.
0: Well, yeah. So I'm old enough to remember ones that happened before this. But I think part of what made this one so horrific is that it was still happening when it made the news. And so people were watching, not the action, not, I mean, action, that sounds horrible, um, but people were not watching the act of crime, but people were still congregating around the school when this made the news, you know, and the scene was still, I don't think totally secure when this made it on the news, the news trucks were there You know, pretty much immediately. And then that was getting fed out to the national media. So the local media arrived very quickly and it was getting fed to, you know, the national CNN and things like that. So this is the first one I remember experiencing kind of as it was happening, where prior to this, my memory of them, it was always a report after the fact.
1: Unless I'm remembering incorrectly, I'm pretty sure this was also the one where the killers had access to what was happening outside because of the news.
0: Oh, maybe. I'm pretty sure. That sounds vaguely familiar, yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure that, like, laws and regulations were put in place after Columbine because, like, the aerial footage, footage, the 24-hour coverage, like, watching the news, the killers inside could see exactly what the police were doing.
0: Mhm. That that does sound familiar, yeah. Because I so, mean, I can picture in my mind the aerial footage and that's exactly what came to my mind was the aerial footage of that.
1: Not to give too many details of our life away, but at the job that we worked to together, did you do the active shooter training?
0: I didn't. No, but I remember very clearly folks coming back from that training and like how everyone was feeling after that training.
1: I, had, I left. I had to go home after. It was too emotional, but they played us. the like It was done by the police, and they played 911 calls from Columbine mm. in the training. And, oh, my God, I, it's, like, forever broken a piece of my psyche listening to those and going through that training. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, I'll just never forget it. I mean, the cops were like, if you get the chance, you have to kill them. <laughs> Uh yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is not how I thought my work morning was going to go. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the thing that is funny is this one really touches home for me because not Columbine. When Columbine happened, I was an adult. I was in my late 20s. But when I was in fifth grade, and I remember this so clearly because... I wrote about it in a report. But when I was in fifth grade, there was a school shooting. And I can't remember now where it was. And I've gone back to this in my memory many times to try to search for it. But there was a school shooting. And I, it was a kid in the eighth grade who came in to the lunchroom and shot some kids at school. And I remember at the time, you know, I so I grew up in... I've said before, in Missouri, in southern Missouri, where gun safety is taught in schools. So every child in junior high gets gun safety training. And I was familiar and knew how to handle a gun when I was five. So it wasn't that, you know, guns were not scary or unusual to me. They were a part of everyday life. But Mm -hmm. this... News report like the idea that guns could be used in this way was just shocking to me, and so I didn't see news footage of it. I must have read about it in a newspaper. This is before 24 hour news cycle. This is well, I was in fifth grade, so like in the early 80s, and it made such an impact on me. I became obsessed with that case and tried to find out everything I could about it. I just thought about it constantly. I would like visualize what the scene must have been like and like what the kid, you know, what were the kids feeling? And so again, it's such a strong memory for me because in fifth grade we had for our end of year project, we had to make a newspaper. Um, and Mm -hmm. my, one of my, feature stories on the front page was about this murder. And so I still have that somewhere in a scrapbook. So I've many times thought of going back and looking at what I wrote and trying to find out what that case was and where it was and all the details about it. But I mean, I think for me, this one just touches home because everyone I think has that case, that moment when they learned about school violence and kind of like the vulnerabilities of kids at school and to think, you know, mine was, again, I probably read about it in a three inch story in our local newspaper, which was like four pages long. Um, Mm -hmm. so when I think of that and how impactful that experience was for me and to think of someone, their thing being Columbine, which was like 24 seven technicolor, like you're in that moment, I can't imagine how much more traumatic that would be because I felt very traumatized by, you know, just, again, reading a very simple, pictureless story in a newspaper.
1: Yeah. And in ninth grade, we had to go into school locked down because an escaped convict from the prison got to the school. Oh, my God. But we didn't know what was going on. And so that was post Columbine. hmm And, um, you know, the announcement comes over the intercoms and it's like, I don't even remember what the code was. It was Mm -hmm. like level one emergency or something. And so we had to like lock the door, barricade the door. The doors had, every door had windows with that like chicken wire through the glass. But so we had to all like position our bodies in such a way where you couldn't be seen from the window. So did you do
0: active shooter drills in school then?
1: Not really. So like they put protocols in and maybe protocols even exist pre-Columbine, but we never did active shooter drills.
0: So it's like the teachers knew about what to do, but yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, The teacher was the one who told us like, lock the door, block the door. We can't be seen by the window. Here's where you need to move. So we never had those drills. My only drills were tornado drills and alligator (laughs) drills.
0: We had tornado drills, no alligator drills. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I am imagining it probably was after Columbine that those drills became standard procedure at schools everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. It's a heavy one, but... You know, I'm so glad, Jared, that you wrote in about this because I think that a lot of people probably have this one in common because it was, it was a huge cultural moment in our society, I think.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sending this in.
0: Yeah. Should I go right into the second one?
1: Yeah. If you've got a tip for a future episode topic or want to send us your own inciting incident for a mini-episode,
0: Visit our website at mostfowlpod.com and write in. All right. Hi, Kirsten and Andrew. I've never written into anything. Sorry if this is a bit rambling. I'm not much of a writer. Oh, everyone's a writer. My inciting incident was this crazy Disney made-for-TV movie called Mr. Boogity. I was terrified of it as a kid, but I would watch it every Halloween on VHS. It's on Disney Plus now, and I rewatched it as an adult, and I can't believe how hokey it is. But as a kid, it was scary. Basically, a family moves into a haunted house. It has two good ghosts and one evil one, Mr. Boogity. Mr. Boogity was obsessed with this single mom, so he made a deal with the devil, kidnapped her and her son, and accidentally killed them all in an explosion. Holy shit, this is dark. Yeah, real family entertainment. (laughs) I'll spare you more of the plot, but this movie made a real mark on my formative brain. I definitely didn't grasp it at the time, but the obsession, kidnapping, and murder, even if accidental, were such an incredibly heavy topic. And if I had to pick one thing that was an entry into crime, it would probably be that. If you read this on the show, feel free to edit it. Best, Kayla. Oh my gosh, (laughs) Kayla! I really feel like you evoked a lot there. Very good writing. Everyone is a writer. All you have to do is sit down and write and practice. But you, you got—you really like packed a lot into those words, Kayla, because whoa.
1: And to just release the Slytherin for a moment, Christian (laughs) and I diverge as. I mean, we've both done a lot of editing, so it shocks me to hear Kirsten say that everyone is a writer. (laughs) Kayla is a wonderful writer, but as people who have done editing in our professional jobs, (laughs) I would argue that maybe not everyone is a writer.
0: I didn't say everyone is a good writer, but everyone Ah, is a writer. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I have little kids, so at school now a thing is to talk about growth mindset. Um, shout out. If anybody has little kids right now, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so we're now trained to say I'm not a writer yet.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: <laughs> well, and on that note, I was shocked to hear you say you don't believe that there are any ugly people in a previous episode, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, it's, a, it's an ebb and flow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I have never heard of this one. This is after my time as a Disney-watching entity.
1: Okay, so I do, you do know, know about this oh one. Oh, my gosh.
0: This is crazy.
1: And I had no clue it was on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I feel like I have to watch it. <laughs> it's got to be terrible. And there was there's a sequel, The Bride of Boogity.
0: What? So maybe we could do a bonus episode where we watch this together.
1: <laughs> oh that would be nuts. <laughs> because from what I remember oh god what was, I, I'm so like boogity, which I guess is like the boogeyman and I say this like as a kid this gave me nightmares like <laughs> um but it was like a like the pilgrims time. Oh. And he like kidnapped the woman and her son. Yeah, I just remember it's like Oh, I, it's been so long. I remember, like, <laughs> jokes. Like, the the family that moves in, like, owns, like, novelty joke shop. <laughs> so, like, hand buzzers when you handshake and, like, all this, like, really stupid stuff. Oh, my gosh. I've got to watch this. I can't that believe it's on Disney+. That sounds very, Plus.
0: like, 90s Disney set The family moves into a new house, owns novelty joke shit shop.
1: <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> I think if I well if we're going to watch it I shouldn't give the climax away. Yeah, don't
0: don't give it away. No spoilers.
1: But I think it was the sequel was actually where I first heard of Jack the Ripper. Really? Yeah, I'm thinking I have this memory where it's like um like a wax figure house of horror type of thing. Uh-huh. And I just remember somebody going and here's Jack the Ripper. And his wife, Mrs. Ripper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we need to like live tweet us watching this, I think, or something, because this sounds totally bonkers.
1: How is this ever for kids? One of the worst movies ever made. It just has to be. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Kayla, I have not thought about this movie in years. Oh my god!
0: Thank you for writing oh. in, Kayla. You've opened up a whole new line of inquiry for us in our paths on true but crime. But it's so
1: true. Like I again, another thing like that I encountered in my childhood. It never crossed my mind. This like kidnapping obsession. The it's I, almost I'm, the
0: obsession part that makes it extra weird because it has like
1: sexual overtones. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is the thing, though. These, like, weird Disney movies, or what was it last mini-episode? Oh, yeah, like, Clue. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, here's this game for kids (laughs) five and up that's all about murder.
0: But it reminds me of the mini-episode when we talked with Liz B., And she talked about fairy tales and their function for child development and kind of, like, the purpose of them historically. And I wonder if this is kind of tied into that, even if it's in this weird, like, capitalist, you know, craven, content-producing kind of way.
1: (laughs) My alternate brain is that there was a team of people and a pile of cocaine. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, we gotta make some kids' content. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that. <laughs> okay, well, thank okay, you. Okay, so Caleb. we might
1: actually do something with Mr. Boogie.
0: <laughs> I think that we should, because I'm very curious now.
1: Oh man, so on to the last.
0: Okay, ready? Hi, friends. I'm Carmen, and I love true crime. I couldn't think of anything specific from my childhood, but the thing that turned me from fiction to nonfiction was season one of True Detective. I was 16 when it came out, and it was definitely the most mature show I'd ever seen, which is a good thing, I think, for you, Carmen. Um, I don't know why my parents let me watch it, but it haunted me to the point of nightmares. But I still watched Even fictional, the look into a crime like this and the idea of killers in plain sight and cover-ups and corruption, it's like it activated the true crime part of my brain. That sort of darkness in humanity concept struck a nerve, and I started looking into serial killers and found the world of true crime. I don't know if it has made me more or less scared, but I do feel more aware of the world around me. That's basically it, but I wanted to say that I really look forward to Most Foul. It's really cool that even the stories that I know pretty well, like the Zodiac, I still feel like I'm getting some new information. I've told several people about the movie premiere and the handwriting specialists trying to match the writing to catch him. I can't wait to see what you cover next. Oh, oh. Amazing. That's so awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Carmen. And I feel like there's so much here to unpack because 16 is really young to see (laughs) True True Detective. True Detective
1: is fucked up. It is So fucked up. It's super
0: dark. (laughs) And like... Creepy and dark and conspiratorial, and like, I mean, I can really call up some icky feelings into my stomach just thinking about season one.
1: Yeah, I mean, probably the darkest topic you could get into.
0: Yeah.
1: 16. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Whoa. So. I'm glad that you came out of that okay. That was like, I mean, that's like 10 years ago now. So you're an adult. You're a grown-ass adult. Like, hope you're doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) I hope the nightmares are gone. But, yeah, I can see how that would fully activate an interest in all of it. Because it's like letting you in on the darkest parts of humanity, really. Which, as a parent, like, I'm old enough now that I read something about someone who's 16. And and really, like, react to it from the role of parent. And I'm like, oh, you poor little thing. Like, you know, I hope my kids don't know about that level of darkness until they're, like, 35 or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, season one, though, I mean, and it had so much going for it. I mean, it was so revolutionary in TV at the time, and... Yeah, because you had the whole cult aspect, mm-hmm. the incredible abuse. I mean, I think we might have even mentioned it on the podcast at some point. Yeah. The and out performance, and that haunts me.
0: I mean, it's just so... And I mean, again, as two people who come from a part of the world that is not totally dissimilar to where that season is set. I mean, you more so than me, but definitely this like rural kind of like, you know, backwater, maybe less educated kind of area you know I think to some people who like I'm not saying this articulately so edit me down please Andrew but like if you grew up in New York City I think something like this may, may strike you as like conspiracy theory wackadoo stuff but if you've grown up in the sticks you know that this is so highly plausible and like Definitely happened somewhere in some shape or form. Like this is true crime. I think, even though we don't know specifically what it's drawn from, so that part of it too makes it so fucking creepy.
1: The good old boy system. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I, true Detective. I don't know that I could put it into words, but it True Detective season one did something to me too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. And that's why I know I'm even before kind of like the negative stuff came out about season two, I could kind of already decided once I knew that they had a different showrunner that I wasn't going to watch season two because I was just like, it's perfection unto itself. Like, I don't see how anything can, you know, like, even though it's it's like American Horror Story and that they were separate, it wasn't they weren't supposed to you know, it wasn't supposed to be a sequel or anything. I still was just like, "Mm, I'm just going to put that in a box on the shelf and leave it there forever.
1: (laughs) But season three is incredibly good. Not the same as one, Mm -hmm. but still really good. Is
0: it? Okay. I mean,
1: Mahershala Ali is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So this is so random and (laughs) it's a thing that I looked up last night. Because somebody offhandedly said something that I was like, there's no way in the world that's true. So, missing persons reports. Uh Uh-huh. Did you know that every year in the United States, there are about 600,000 missing persons reports filed?
0: So, this is not shocking to me, but it's fairly recent recently new information to me i i wouldn't have been able to give you that exact number but i heard something about it not too long ago and i also was shocked at the number it seemed like it couldn't possibly be true so i went through the experience that you had last night but just like a couple months ago
1: (laughs) yeah it's crazy the the reality setting of it is that like 88 to 92 percent are solved Mm -hmm. found dead or alive um But still, that's a lot Mm -hmm. never solved. Yeah. And these are also people who were reported. Right. So it it just, you know, like the law of big numbers, our lizard brains just can't handle (laughs) that. Where like, well, 600,000 is actually a pretty minuscule, I think it's like less than, what is it, 2%? Okay, sorry. I'm not. This is not a math podcast. Math, <laughs>
0: math, math. math. <laughs> it's a very
1: small percentage of the United States population. See,
0: I don't even know the United
1: States population, so I'm we're around I'm like stuck 360 million.
0: It. Oh, okay.
1: So very small percent, mm-hmm. but it's like
0: I mean that's still it's a it's just a fucking huge number
1: it blew my mind and then it then connected me to this whole system about how okay now it's a conspiracy podcast <laughs> but no one tracks missing persons in national parks Oh the Department God. of the Interior doesn't, which oversees the parks, and the Department of Agriculture doesn't. There's no database, there's no tracking. The best tracking information at this time is a Bigfoot researcher.
0: Oh my God. Who's
1: trying to figure out. So
0: we talked about this, something like this, not. We talked about this kind of before because I remember us having a conversation like the best place to martyr somebody is on reservation land in a national park because, like, Because of the reporting in the systems, it would just be totally fucked up. Like, the jurisdiction would be impossible.
1: (laughs) But So then, I I know this is a wild tangent, but it really connects back to True Detective in my mind, thinking of season one and, like, the ruralness, the poverty, the, you know, possibility of local leaders or law enforcement being part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, there is a horror to the world where things like this do and can happen.
0: Totally. Totally. And I think the scary thing about it for me, the scariest part is that it's really only creepy and grotesque in movies. Like having lived in a community where there are some crimes that are like in this like, you know, realm it's so super fucking mundane. It's never like creepy and ominous and like grotesque. It's just like p- these people in your town and they just are like seem like normal people and they're boosters in the football team at the high school. Like that to me is even creepier. And I mean they kind of hint at it because it's like well these people within the community, but the whole show it has just this like veneer of creep and like mm-hmm. weirdness that in real life doesn't exist, you know? It's just, like, normal, normal. Or I've seen shows about crimes where there was a conspiracy to cover it up because it was a small town and everybody's related and, you know, or they dated in high school. or you know, Like, it's very incestuous kind of community. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have that it, – it's basically like that realization that everyone has at some point when they realize that monster murderers look like everyone else, you know? Yeah, And these situations exist all over the place, but they don't give off these kind of creep vibes. Like, they're just seemingly normal people doing really, really egregiously fucked up things.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Carmen. Your detective <laughs> took us in a very interesting path.
0: <laughs> oh, so interesting, though. And yes, like, we also were into it, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. <laughs> And so many other things. Gosh. Wow.
1: Well, now, listeners, you've gotten a real glimpse into <laughs> some of the conversations we have.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, thanks again so much to those who have e- emailed us, submitted the forms. Uh, we're going through them. We definitely could use some more to make sure we have uh, more content for future mini episodes. So, our website, mostfowlpod.com. There, you can submit an inciting incident through there or just email us directly at mostfowlpod at gmail.com.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for the folks who have, have um, been featured on, on an episode. We appreciate the hell out of you.
1: 100%. Mm-hmm. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode.
0: This has been a Facts from Janet production.